We are right in the middle of a series called Opportunities and Threats. It's based on uh, Hebrews 10, 39 and the current context of our world, of our nation in particular. That we are in the midst of a cultural earthquake. Things are shaking. Things are not settled. And so what do you do in the midst of an earthquake? Well, our gut reaction is to duck and cover. Just hide. Hope the shaking stops and come out. Come out when it's all over. There is a deep conviction in me and, and many others and in God's word that for such a time as this, now is not the time to duck and cover. That there are actually times when that can be very dangerous. The writer to the Hebrews says in 1039, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. So there's a time when to shrink back, to duck and cover, the literal meaning of that is a, a sailing term. It's the lowering the sails, kind of the give up, go in for the day, be defeated, take cover. There's times when if we lower the sails, it can be to our own destruction. Wow, that's a strong word in the book of Hebrews. But I believe for such a time as this, that now is a time when God wants his people, his church, his beloved bride, to dig into the goodness of God, to take a lay of the land, to be, as Jesus says, wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves, meaning you know what's going on, you kind of can, can sift through all of the messages that are coming our way that a lot of which do not honor Christ. And you hear and you, you discern, you, you grab the heart of God and you move forward. So we've been looking at a lot of different realities right now. Opportunities that come in the midst of the threats in our world. And so this is week six. So I'm not going to recap week one through five, but they're out there. They're on the website. They're on our YouTube channel. They're on our Facebook. I encourage you to get, to get caught up if you're just joining us. But the basic idea in it is from Acts 1.8 where Jesus says you will receive power from on high when you're, you will be clothed with the Spirit and then you will go out and be my representatives, my ambassadors, represent Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that there's these kind of concentric circles of influence, if you will, where you start in the home. You start with yourself. You start with your close sphere of influence. And then it moves outward. So Jerusalem, that's like your hometown, your city, your neighborhood. And then it moves out to those kind of crossing of borders and crossing of boundaries into the unknown, into the places that are very different and foreign, but to represent Jesus to the ends of the earth. So last week we kind of looked at, uh, let's say, Jerusalem, Judea, if you will, in the sense of we moving beyond our city and look to the state of California and what are some of those threats. And today we're going to look further and look into our nation. And we're probably going to camp here because there's not just one threat in our nation. That's kind of looking into the, the Sumeria, the larger area. And what are the threats that are coming our way in our nation? And this morning I want to speak about a very fundamental threat. That there is a clear desire and agenda to get rid of God. It's quite simple, but that should be quite terrifying. 
in the sense of this, if there's a baseline agenda that says we want to get rid of God in the public sphere, we want to get rid of Christianity if possible, if you're a Christian, that should matter. <laughs> you should be like, whoa, that's not a good goal. You can see it on a local level. You can see it on a national level. For example, right now, locally, two weeks ago, the Menifee Union School District received a threatening letter. It says, we are going to sue you if you do not stop bringing these evangelical pastors to your meetings and allowing them to pray before the meeting. So it happened right here in Menifee. It's a long-standing 30-plus year tradition that the school board has fought for. The school board has wanted to say, hey, we want prayer, a healthy declaration of dependence upon God. They've invited pastors to come and pray, like, city, like the city council does as well. An outside group doesn't even belong to Menifee. Outside group comes and sends this threatening letter, says cease and desist or we're going to sue you. But Menifee's a special place. <laughs> there are some, some, some friends in high places, if you will, that came and, and let, let members of the faith community, let, let pastors know and said, this is not a good thing. And so there's, there's a number of pastors and faith leaders that are on it, saying, we, no, 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 that's not okay, not on our watch. That's not even what Menifee wants. So this is a special place, and we're going we're gonna to fight it. And, but be encouraged and keep praying, though. The, the leaders who have faith, and there are many leaders in this city, elected officials who proclaim, boldly proclaim a faith in Jesus Christ. But this is going to be a time, that, 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 and it's going to cost something to stand up. So be praying for their, their boldness. But they already have stood up. Like, for example, the new city hall that was built. I got the, the privilege to pray there for, this, for the city council meeting in the first time that they were officially meeting in the new city hall. And it blew my mind in such a positive way, so encouraging to me, in the city council chambers above the, the mayor's seat, right there below the seal of Menifee, it says in big, bold letters, in God we trust, in the new city council chambers. What stood out to me was that was an intentional choice. Because if there was any time where you just kind of like leave it out, oops, we forgot. When you build a new building, that's a good time. Leave out the old, you know, God we trust, old, you know, junk. So it said it in the old building, and somebody, there was some discussion somewhere where they said, we want this in the new building. So that was encouraging. Dependence upon God. But on the national level, we're seeing similar things. Just recently, and you can see many of these examples. We don't need to go too far into, into this to, to prove the examples. But in two recent prominent political groups, prominent caucuses at one of the national conventions, intentionally left out under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. It's intentional. You say the Pledge of Allegiance. Everybody knows it. It's not an accident when you leave out under God. It's a statement. Saying we don't want to declare dependence upon God anymore. That time has passed in our nation. Made me do a little research, and it was very interesting. Uh, President Dwight D. Eisenhower in 1954 added that under God phrase to the Pledge of Allegiance. And this was the, the motivation. Incredible. Quote, from this day forward, the millions of our school children will daily proclaim in every city and town, every village and rural schoolhouse, the dedication of our nation 
and our people to the Almighty. In this way, we are reaffirming the transcendence of religious faith in America's heritage and future. In this way, we shall constantly strengthen those spiritual weapons which forever, forever will be our country's most powerful resource in peace or in war. <laughs> Dependence upon God is our country's most powerful resource. But there's a threat to that. There are many threats. To intentionally put God and our dependence upon God in the public sphere. That's a tremendous part of America's heritage. But there is some major threats that it won't be a part of America's future. Right now we face threats, real threats, that desire to remove God, Christianity, and all religion from anywhere it can. I'm named... A couple already. That threat comes from many places. However, I want to speak specifically this morning on what I would consider a, a Trojan horse in this battle to remove God. This is one of those times where as, as believers, it's and myself, been researching this message for more than three months in the sense we've got to slow down, we've got to weed through the various messages, We've got to dig below the surface. We've got to see the roots of things. We've got to do what Jesus said at times, to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Meaning trying to keep our hearts pure and Christ-like while at the same time saying, we need the wisdom to see below the surface of what things seem. That things are not always as they seem. And so I want to speak specifically this morning about a particular Trojan horse, that right now, and the reason why it's, it's for me, in the sights, is that is right now enjoying a particular popularity in our country, and to the tune of receiving tens of millions of dollars in support from celebrities and athletes and huge corporations and, and many, many Christians and churches and pastors publicly but if this group has its way and completes its ideological mission, which is what we'll get into, there will be no Christianity in America. And, and that threat, that group, is the Black Lives Matter political organization. Now, as soon as I say that, let me explain my words carefully. I said the Black Lives Matter political organization. That is not the same thing as the phrase or the meme. Black Lives Matter. So today we want to do some careful thinking and untangle some things. Get into God's word. Get into the ideological roots and untangle some things that right now are just one. And that's part of what I would say is where the deception comes from. So the phrase Black Lives Matter, if you take those words as individual words, Put them together in a phrase. It's an adjective and a noun and a maybe an adverb. Don't know my gr grammar. Adjective, noun, adjective. Black lives matter. You put that through the theological grid of the Bible, you're going to come out with an amen absolutely, 100%. That phrase by itself lines up with many biblical values. 
And we have the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1. Let us make humanity, all of humanity, in our image and likeness. So the Bible's 100% clear from the beginning in God's created order, in God's created design, all of humanity is created in his image and therefore have equal value and worth before God and one another. And we can and should also recognize that in a broken and fallen world, though that doesn't always happen, and the enemy uses sin, he uses fear, he uses all sorts of various vices that, that grow in us to, to put up walls of hostility so that that equal value and treatment doesn't always happen and hasn't always happened in our country. And that's where we looked at Galatians 3, where it says in verse 328, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't say that the realities of gender, race, and class, which it's talking about, it's not saying they don't exist anymore. It's saying that God loves all of them. Salvation is available to all. And that there are now no barriers to a relationship with God and oneness with each other in Christ. Which Ephesians talks about very specifically. And we looked at that verse a couple months ago in the message that's important if you didn't hear it. Two in a row. One on race, God, and the church, and the other on the towering example of Dr. Martin Luther King, who is, in my opinion, heroic in living these things out and showing us a Christ-like biblical worldview in how to wrestle through these things. Ephesians 2 says it like this about Jesus in verse 14, that he himself is our peace. He's, they're talking about, Paul's talking about Jews and Gentiles. So these two racial groups that have had real animosity to the point of bloodshed for generations. And he's saying, he says, Jesus is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his body the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. This is an incredible passage when you talk about to work this out ethically, to work this out in our world, a great guiding light. It says, Plainly, Jesus died on the cross to break down those barriers of hostility that the devil had built up along those lines that Galatians talks about. Whether it's Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male nor female, those are walls that the enemy has built up across lines of, of gender and race and class. And Christians, according to Ephesians 2, have a calling to follow Jesus in his footsteps, who went to the cross to, among other things, break down all of those walls of hostility, not only between God and man, but between one another. Breaking down walls of hostility to create one new humanity in Christ. That's a mandate as a Christian. 
So when, when we hear the, fla- the phrase, black lives matter, it should put us into this theological, biblical grid that reminds us of, of God's universal love for all people, which is clear from the beginning of Genesis and made very clear in Christ, but as well, the particular love. The particular love for groups of people that when they have not been treated with the full dignity and value that God designed for them to be treated with, then Jesus will highlight particular groups. That's what's so offensive to the religious leaders all the time. Jesus would hang out with the most marginalized in society to send the clear message that, for example, Samaritan lives matter to God. The poor matter to God. Tax collectors are loved by God. Women are welcomed into the kingdom of God. Sinners have a seat at at the table through Christ. So as confident and compassionate Christians, we should be having brave and robust conversations along the lines of what does it mean in our day and age, in our context, to destroy barriers of hostility that the enemy has built. So that's my take on the phrase, Black Lives Matter. That's not what I'm talking about when I say the Black Lives Matter political organization. They are separate. Because if the Black Lives Matter political organization achieves its ultimate goals, God will be removed from public life and Christianity will cease to exist in America. That's a threat. So I want to walk through those clear threats that face us. So we can be aware, if we're not already, and have a boldness to say, how do we respond with love, with compassion, with grace, but with that wise as a serpent, innocent as dove, to be able to stand up and say, if this organization thrives, Christianity is majorly threatened in the public sphere. So let's get right down to it. Why am I taking such a strong stance to say that the Black Lives Matter organization, political organization, is such a threat? of its ideological roots and ultimate goals. And what are those? I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, so here's, in a moment, a little clip from the founder who is responding to a particular question. At the beginning of Black Lives Matter political organization movement, when it was gaining notoriety, there was a critique saying, your goals aren't quite clear. You're demonstrating in the streets, but do you actually have an ideological foundation with broad and clear goals? So there's a critique. So this is the question being asked. Do you have an ideological foundation? Another way to say that is a worldview from which your values come and your political actions and goals operate. So let's listen to Patrice Cooler's founder and current director. Concern that uh, that there's a lack of perhaps uh, uh, ideological direction in Black Lives Matter that would allow it to be to 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 fizzle out, in, as he said, um, uh, in comparison to Occupy Wall Street. 
uh, as you are are advanced in your own organization, as you all are headed to Cleveland to participate in this Black Lives um, Movement conference, how do you respond to that particular critique? Again, a loving critique from an elder of the struggle uh, that some others share, uh, that I've even shared as well, to, to be frank, as a concern about, uh, in part because of the co-optation and, and the appropriation, that, that a, a more clear ideological um, structuring might be of some value here. But how do you respond to, to, to those kinds of, again, loving criticisms? Um, I think that the criticism is helpful. Um, I also think that it might, um, I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are uh, super uh versed um, on sort of ideological theories. So to the critique that says, hey, your message might get co-opted, appropriated, meaning other groups might come in and disrupt the purity of your message, which often happens out as you get public and other groups join in various uh, people put their influence. So this is down to the core of what is the purity of your message? What is your ideological worldview? Do you have one? In other words, do you have a comprehensive worldview that guides you towards and leads you to specific goals? And her answer is short, but it means the world. We are super versed in ideological theories, and we are Marxists. In other words... We're, we're not ignorant. We know exactly what we're doing. We are well-trained. We've prepared for this. Our worldview is Marxism. And she's not lying. <laughs> doing my research, in finding out other interviews, not putting any words in her mouth. An interview, in an interview with Democracy Now!, Coolers described how she became to train organizer with the group called Labor Community Strategy Center. Called it, quote, her first political home. And the director's center, Eric Mann, was her personal mentor. In another interview, she told The Politic that it was there that she was trained from her youth and grew as a leader. The Labor Community Strategy Center describes itself on its website, quote, as an urban experiment unquote, utilizing grassroots organizing to, quote, focus on black and Latino communities with deep historical ties to the long history of anti-colonial, anti-imperialist, pro-communist resistance to the U.S. empire. So the Labor Community Strategy Center, her first political home where she grew to be an organizer under the tutelage of Eric Mann, is pro-communist resistance to the U.S. empire. And her mentor, Eric Mann, who she spent over a decade being personally mentored by, she is the protege, and, and successfully, this is it. He's an avowed communist revolutionary, there's no questions. You can look him up, Eric Mann. He was part of the Weather Underground group that was classified in 1969 as a domestic terror organization when they bombed buildings. 
When Bill Ayers, the leader, called for direct action, not civil disobedience, none of the stuff that, that Dr. King does, that's a waste of time. Direct action to overthrow the U.S. government, such as bombing buildings. So Eric Mann was a part of that and mentored her. So she knows exactly what she's doing as founder of the Black Lives Matter political movement when she says, oh yeah, we're versed in ideological theories. We know what we're doing. Marxists are smart. They study. And that's her confession. We are Marxists. So let's press a little deeper into the ideology itself. At the core of the ideology is a worldview. The worldview of Karl Marx, who states this about God and religion as part of the core worldview. So contrast that with Christianity. Karl Marx says this, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, just as is the spirit, it is the spirit of a spiritless situation. It is the opium of the people. That's very famous. But here's what is more important to me. The abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people is required for their real happiness. The demand to give up the illusions about its condition is the demand to give up a condition that needs illusions. In other words, religion is an illusion. It's the opium of the people. Religion just gets you high to take your mind off of the otherwise pointless suffering that your life is. And so religion must be abolished. The abolition of religion as this illusory happiness of the people is required for their real happiness. In other words, you can't experience the real happiness of the Marxist revolution that's coming until religion is abolished. Religion is in the way. It's holding you back. He goes on to say it further. The criticism of religion disillusions a man, but that's okay, basically he's about to say. So he's going to say religion is trash, it's fake, God doesn't exist, it's opium, wake up. So the criticism of religion disillusions man so that he will think and act and fashion his reality like a man who has discarded his illusions and regained his senses so that he will move around himself as his own true son. So again, just it's, it's further. It's 100%. The mission of Marxism founded in this deep worldview says that religion must be criticized. Religious folks must go through a disillusionment period where they wake up and they realize it's all false. God doesn't exist. And actually, they humans thrive when they learn how to revolve around themselves as their own true son. God's not real. And you're living in a fantasy land if you think so. So religion must be abolished so that you're awake enough to realize your only hope is to revolve around yourself as your own true son. In more clear fashion, simple places, 
Marx said, my object in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. So when we hear this, that this is the self-proclaimed ideological framework, a worldview, deeply studied, very versed in ideological worldviews, and that Marxism is an inherently atheistic worldview. I mean, it is fundamentally incompatible with Christianity. You are your own true son. You've shed the illusions and lies that religion is real or does anything. Revolve around yourself. Take care of yourself. That's it. It's all you got in this otherwise meaningless materialistic world. So Marxism is an inherently atheistic worldview. An inherently or violently or aggressively militantly atheistic because in the sense that the belief of God, any belief in God, but Christians seem to always be the main targets, but any belief in God must be abolished as a necessary part of the process of setting people free from illusions, illusions that are oppressive in order to be empowered to move around yourself as your own true son. That is the ideological framework from which the Black Lives Matter political movement is built upon. How can a Christian support a group that wants the elimination of its existence? The Black Lives Matter political organization is incompatible with Christianity, incompatible in worldviews, because if its ultimate, quote, trained Marxist goals are reached, Christianity in America will necessarily be, quote, abolished. That's a threat. Dr. Eugene Bach brings him some historical perspective about Christians and Marxism and how have they fared together when Marxism has taken over. And his quote is, History has shown that more Christians have died from communist Marxism than any other single ideology in the history of man. Marxism has been tried on nearly every continent, in different nations, by different cultures, but there has never been a nation on earth that has adopted Marxist teaching and not ended up systematically killing Christians. Not one, ever. From the gulags in Russia, to the death camps in North Korea, to the Red Terror in Ethiopia, to the killing fields of Cambodia, to the Cultural Revolution in China. Marxism has been one of the most brutal Christian killing machines in history. Let me contrast this ideological framework of Marxism with another one. You might call it the American Experiment. Think about what you heard from Marx and what you hear from the Declaration of Independence. That we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. This ideological framework, this political ideological framework is rooted in a Judeo-Christian worldview that says, quite simply, 
in contrast to Marxism, God exists. You're not an accident. You're not material worthlessness that's here for a short time. All are created in the image of God and derive their value from God. And therefore, we want to build a society on this worldview, which gives us the ideological framework that says in politics, all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator, unalienable rights. And now let me give you an example of what this looks like to work out this ideological framework, to strive towards a more perfect union, to work out this ideological framework based on a Christian worldview in the political sphere looks something like this. In Dr. King's message, in one of his messages in, in his book, Strength of Love, he says this, one of the great tragedies of life is that men seldom br bridge the gulf between practice and profession, between doing and saying. A persistent schizophrenia leaves so many of us tragically divided against ourselves. And on one hand, we proudly profess certain sublime and noble principles, but on the other hand, we sadly practice the very antithesis of these principles. How often our lives are characterized by a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds. Oh man, I searched the internet for that video because that would be so much better to hear him say it. That's, that, that right there is what got me. How often our lives are characterized by a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds. We talk eloquently about our commitment to the principles of Christianity, and yet our lives are saturated with the practices of paganism. We proclaim our devotion to democracy, but we sadly practice the very opposite of the democratic creed. We talk passionately about peace, and at the same time, we assiduously prepare for war. We make fervent pleas for the high road of justice, and then we tread unflinchingly the low road of injustice. This strange dichotomy, this agonizing gulf between the ought and the is represents the tragic theme of man's earthly pilgrimage. That's powerful. This is Dr. King working from the same Christian worldview as the founding fathers, working from the same ideological framework and saying America needs to have its deeds live up to its creeds. That's good. That's healthy. That's what the Constitution says. In order to form a more perfect union, we haven't arrived yet. So this is Dr. King saying the foundation is good. We haven't lived into the fullness of it yet. We're still striving politically in that sphere for a more perfect union. Our deeds need to live up for our creeds. That is a prophetic call for reform, growth, and change. And I believe one that carried the heart of Christ in doing it. That's one way to approach the world. The Black Lives Matter political organization has deemed America essentially irredeemable. It's not reform that's needed. It's revolution. Overthrow in classic Marxist fashion. And that's why some of why you see the, the tearing down or defacing of mon monuments, even the likes of a George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill, that makes sense because you know what Karl Marx said? If you, can, if you can cut the people off from their history, 
then they can be easily persuaded. So a similar tearing down of, of statues in China took place in the middle of Mao's cultural revolution, right before tens of millions were killed in the name of freedom revolving around yourself as your own son. And not coincidentally, the statue of Vladimir Lenin was left pristine and untouched in Seattle in the midst of all the protests. An ode to the Marxist ideological foundation even though it is verified by many, many historical sources that where Marxism has flourished over the last 150 years, the body count is over 100 million. There's no freedom coming there. So let me give you one other example of the Marxist ideology worked out in the political sphere and how much of a contrast it is to Dr. King. So this is Ariel Atkins the leader of the Black Lives Matter Chicago chapter. I don't care if somebody decides to loot a Gucci or a Macy's or a Nike because that makes sure that that person eats. That makes sure that that person has clothes. That makes sure that that person can make some kind of money because this city obviously doesn't care about them. Not only that, that's reparations. That is reparations. Anything they want to take, take it because these businesses have insurance. They're going to get their money back. My people aren't getting anything. The last paragraph in, in Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto says that the new society will only come about through, quote, forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. So this quote, this is absolutely classic Marxism. The city doesn't care about you. The businesses don't care about you. Those in power, nobody in power cares about you. So take what you can get. Take it. Just take it. You have a right to it. That is pure Marxism at its ideological root. When the Marxist revolution was beginning to take place in Russia, the poor farmers were told, if you have a neighbor in your village who is a successful farmer and has an abundant crop and you're hungry, go take it. Take it. Take what you can get. You have a right to it. This is a worldview devoid of anything resembling Christianity. It is the Marxist class struggle. That is part of the ideological worldview of Marxism, humanity, it gets real simple. Humanity is broken down into two groups. Look for this, it's all over right now. Two groups, two categories, the powerful and the oppressed. And this is where we have to be discerning because yeah, those groups exist and they have and there's been times throughout history where the powerful have oppressed the not powerful. But this is where we gotta be nuanced. We gotta root ourselves in the Bible. We gotta root ourselves in Christ and say, what's the Christ-like solution? So just two groups, powerful and oppressed, the have, the have-nots. And if you find yourself in the group of the have-nots, then it's time for revolution. And here's the thing. And you have the moral authority to, quote, forcibly overthrow all of the existing social institutions. The moral authority to do whatever means necessary to flip the tables. That's why you have a body count of over 100 million people over the last 
150 years everywhere and anywhere in the wake of Marxist revolutions. There is no valuing of humanity made in the image of God. It's just struggle and revolution. And that's what you're hearing in there. So remember those walls of, of hostility that the Bible talks about. They exist. They're there. They're real. Those walls of hostility that Christ came to break down. Race, gender, class. And that we have a mandate as Christians to inhabit that heart of Jesus and say that is part of God's salvation of the world. That is part of his kingdom advancing so that it looks more like that heavenly picture of every tongue, tribe, and, and nation, barriers broken down, one new humanity in Christ. Those walls are necessary for Marxism to thrive. Those natural points of tension in our fallenness, Marx has done a good job of showing us them, saying, yeah, they exist, but they're necessary they're necessary to be exploited. They're necessary to be inflamed. It's necessary to tell one group that you have the moral authority to just destroy the other one. In Christ, with the biblical worldview, we're not called to exploit or inflame walls of hostility. We're called to break them down and forge the one new humanity in Christ. So in the end, and this is why, to me, it's, we're stepping outside of kind of our normal sphere of influence, if you will, and going straight into the, the, the political landscape, not trying to be partisan, trying to be biblical, looking at our context. Say, this is real. If trained Marxists win in their clear and very versed ideological goals, religion, Christianity, God, will be abolished from our nation. So what do we do? Well, it's 11 o'clock, so I got to stop. <laughs> wrestle, wrestle. Expose the, the atheism and Marxism that are, that are real. Call people, call people, continue to call people where you have influence. Call people to prayer and dependence upon God. I'm, gonna do, we're, I'm grateful to be a part of that here in Menifee and part of a, a, a team, a crew, that's going to try to say, hey, <laughs> prayer in our schools, that's, that, that has been removed, but prayer for our city leaders, our, our, our elected school board members, that's still, that's still something we can fight for. Love people. See, our, our world does want to kind of break us into categories where it says you can't stand up for racism, or excuse me, stand up. Wow. Edit that one. Our world says you can't stand up against racism and stand up against Marxism at the same time, or you can't stand up against racism and say Black Lives Matter political organization is not a good thing. For America, right now, it's, that's all one. And so this, hopefully, what I've tried to do today was to say, let's, let's pull some of those things apart and look at the truths in each. Let's look, at, let's be 
biblical worldview Christians that are wise as serpents, innocent as doves. And then try to have those conversations. Articulate the difference between those things in our current context. To say that we can... we oppose the, the Black Lives Matter political organization atheistic and Marxist roots and goals to abolish religion. Yet we as Christians continue to want to work to be Christ-like and break down barriers of hostility wherever they exist and forge God's vision for one new humanity and, and wrestle through it. <laughs> We're going to not get it all right. We're going to make mistakes. It's going to be difficult. But this, to me, this, this is a worthy, a worthy battle to be fighting in our current context. This is an opportunity to let the true light of Christ shine. So let's pray. God, we finish where we started and declare our dependence upon you. We ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us to navigate the waters that we, that we dove into today. We ask for your Holy Spirit to help us be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Meaning may our hearts stay pure. May our hearts be even more purified to have the Christ-like love and compassion for your entire world. And at the same time, would you give us just even a supernatural ability to see through lies that are coming our way and see threats that are real, that want to do away with the name of God in the world. We just pray for your help, Lord. May you grow us into a powerful community of believers that does these things well to the glory of Christ and the advancement of your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.